Good morning. Thanks, Mark and Lindy, for the wonderful worship. Dave, thank you for those kind and encouraging words. I deeply appreciate that. Um, Let me just uh, take care of a couple of things before we get going. You have an insert that was provided in your bulletin, but it has no information. So uh, let me fill in the blanks for you, at least the top blanks, before we get going. Um, The title, I believe it asked for, is um, Depth Determines Distance. Depth Determines Distance. Uh, What's next? Text? Okay, write down a bunch (laughs) or a lot. That works as well. And then in terms of big idea, you can write... Um, you will only go as far as your depth in Christ takes you. You will only go as far as your depth in Christ takes you. Uh, let's say a prayer before we begin. Father, thank you for this wonderful occasion <clears throat> to open your word up together. Father, we so desperately need your word, we, we need to be fed by you so that we can continue to um, have faith in you, so that we can continue to express love to you and to others. I'm thinking of the verse that says, circumcision nor uncircumcision matters. It, it, in other words, it doesn't matter that we said a prayer one day. What matters is that we are walking with you and that you are living in us and we are living in you. That's what matters and that's what we want to be produced today, life. And of course, if anything lives, it's because you give it the ability to live. So give us the ability to live today by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So... As Dave indicated, we're launching out. I I was led to believe that I might be uh, preaching the last sermon at this particular location. Well, if you think back, I preached the last sermon at New Hope. So I guess if this is the case, then maybe I'm a closer of some sort. I close down buildings. Um, (laughs) Not sure what that means, but we're going to be launching out. and It's an exciting time. Many of you have put in tons of hours over at the new building and um, made all sorts of sacrifices and and we're so thankful for what you've done and we look forward to when it happens whether we're over there next week or the following week or whenever it happens so this this idea of launching out made me think of failure to launch (laughs) I was thinking of the uh contrasting idea, the flip side, failure to launch. That was a movie that came out several years ago. Maybe you saw it, Matthew McConaughey and I think Sarah Jessica Parker. And uh, The idea of the movie was there's this guy and he's around 35 years old and he's still living with his parents, right? And, and he enjoys it. He's got no problem with it. He's happy with his parents. And so um, they address that particular idea throughout the movie. So uh, you, you'll be happy to know, though, it's, it's not 
simply a movie. Actually, maybe the movie was made because it took from an idea in society something that, that is truly a recent phenomenon called failure to launch. In fact, sociologists have, have coined it, or maybe psychologists in this sense, uh, failure to launch syndrome. So if you're a millennial, this applies to you. So a millennial would be someone born between the years 1980 and 2000. I'm sorry if, if this hits you square between the eyes. This is not me. I'm just repeating what I heard, okay? Uh, you're also known as not just the millennial generation, but the boomerang generation. You know what that means, right? I mean, you, you, you go out, but yet you come back. And then you stay at home for a while. And, and maybe that going out is just for... A brief period of time and you find out you don't like it and you come back and you stay at home. Um, and, and so it's called failure to launch syndrome. By the way, I've got two children that were born within that time frame, so I'm familiar with this, this whole notion. It's way more comfortable to stay at home for these kids uh, and it's different than any other point in time in our history. So, um, you know, and, and people dig down and try to find out why it's going on. And I'm not here to discuss that so much as I am to kind of launch, if you will, not to be punny, but launch off of that concept, failure to launch, because it, it's not simply something that happens in a movie or something that happens in society. It's something that happens to Christian people. Okay, this whole idea of failing to launch is something that happens to God's people. It's also something that happens to churches, because churches are made up of people. So if a church is made up of a number of people that fail to launch, then that church is not going to launch, right? Now, at this point, I'm not talking about a building, okay? And by the way, not to discredit anything that's been done, and, you know, I believe what I'm about to say every leader would agree with, that building, in one sense, is nothing, right? It's insignificant, that building in and of itself will not accomplish God's purposes. Never has. Bricks and mortar do not accomplish God's purposes. God's people accomplish God's purposes. So when I'm talking about launching out, now I'm talking about a spiritual launching. I'm talking about you becoming all that God intended for you to be in Christ Jesus you not staying in one place spiritually, in other words, and failing to launch, but you launching out. I mean, that's what you want, isn't it? It has to be. If you're a believer, that desire has to be down in you. It, maybe it's tucked away, and, and maybe it's covered up and it's hidden by things. But nonetheless, you, you know what I'm talking about. It's there. You want to be all you can be in Christ Jesus. You want to achieve your ultimate purpose for being on this earth. And you know what that is, right? To glorify God in everything that you say and do. That is your purpose. So you don't have to lay awake in bed anymore at night wondering why God put you on this earth or why you're here. You are here to glorify God. That's why you're here. But yet we can... We can feel that we're never going to truly achieve that. 
I remember times when I felt that way, and even over an extended period of time for years, that I'm, that I'm not going to reach this, this place where I feel like I'm actually doing this thing of giving God glory with my life. So I want to talk about this whole thing of, of not launching versus launching spiritually in relation to giving God glory. And so back to the idea that I said that you wrote down. I, I think it's related to depth. I really do. And I think what we're going to talk about will bear that out. It's related to depth. It's a depth issue. You know, if you look at kids that stay at home, psychologists will say there's something deep inside. I mean, on the surface, it just looks pretty casual. You know, these kids are just staying at home. But they say there's something deep inside going on, maybe a self-esteem issue or whatever. Again, I don't know if that's the case. But, but for Christians, <laughs> there's something happening or not happening at a deep level if we're not being all we can be or at least glorifying God in an increasing manner in our lives. So I believe that, basically speaking, that distance requires depth. Depth determines distance. So if we're going to go farther in Christ, there has to be a depth. We have to be growing deeper. Now, there are two reasons that I believe that we fail to go deeper. Two reasons, maybe there's more, but for our purposes today, two reasons. And the first is this, and it's suffering. So if you want to write that down, two reasons. Number one, suffering. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. So take your tablet, your phone, your Bible, whatever you brought. And get over to Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Now, let me just say this about suffering. Here's how this whole thing of suffering works. Here's how suffering, or we could say hardship or trials or difficulties, this is how this works, okay? When you're experiencing these, there is the potential for these hardships and these sufferings to prevent you from going deeper with God or with Christ. And here's how it works. If, if you are confused about the nature of what's happening to you and the nature of the trials and the hardships and the sufferings, then you will begin to question God, and, and therefore you will not draw close to God. If you don't think he's for you, if you don't think he's there to help you, if you don't think he cares about you, you are not going to draw close to him. Why would you, right? It makes perfect sense. Do you hang out with people that don't care about you? You don't, do you? Unless you're stuck, maybe, and you have no choice. But if you have a choice, you don't hang out with people that you don't feel care about you. So Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day, this is a familiar story. When evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And this is uh, Jesus, by the way, that they're speaking of. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. 
And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea and said to them, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Uh, Turn now to Luke. So one book to the right, Luke chapter 18. I want to read one other passage for you, starting in verse 1. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, I want you to notice similarities between these two passages. The first thing is this. They both have difficulty, hardship, suffering as a backdrop, right? So the disciples are in a boat in Mark 4, and the storms come. The wind uh, blows up, and the waves are crashing into the boat. And in chapter 18 of Luke here, there is a woman who is being tormented by her adversary. She's crying out for justice. I would imagine in both cases, well, certainly in the case of the disciples, these are sufferings that that are out of their control, things that have come upon them from the outside. So they did not bring upon themselves this suffering. The second thing is, I want you to notice in both passages that the care and concern of the Lord regarding those who are needing help is brought into question. It's brought up. So when the storm hits, and the disciples say, or wake Jesus, right? He's sleeping. First of all, I'm thinking, how can he sleep in the midst of the storm, right? But I guess he's God on one hand, and he can sleep, you know, anywhere he wants and anytime he wants, so he's asleep. And, and so they wake him, and they say this to him, we are perishing, don't you care, Okay? Then, in Luke 18, there is this judge that's hearing this complaint from this widow, right? This widow comes to him and says, give me help. I need relief from my adversary. And and she's coming day and again. He's not responding. And so, Jesus is telling this parable, and he says that the judge says to himself, you know, I don't care one thing about God nor do I care one thing about man. Point being, 
I don't care. Right? You get it? I don't care. But because of this woman and her continual nagging, I am going to grant her request just to get her off my back. So the idea then is presented in contrast with God being just the opposite of that judge. Do you get that? Do you see it in that passage? This judge doesn't care. So how much more, though, in contrast to this judge, does God care? How much more will he give justice to his elect to cry out to him day and night? He's not going to delay long over their request like this unrighteous judge. No, he will answer them speedily. And then notice, and this leads to the third comparison between the two passages. Notice what Jesus says at the end of, of Luke 18. He says this, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Go back to the passage with the storm, okay? The, the disciples say, hey, don't you care for us? We're perishing. And then in a few minutes after he calms the storm, Jesus looks at them and says, oh, you of little faith. Now, they go on to say, wow, what a guy. I mean, even the wind and the waves obey him. But I don't think that's the point of the wow, really. That God is making. That's what they're wowed by. They were always wowed by the signs, right? But what they should be wowed by is the care of the Lord for them in that moment. I mean, that is the question on the table. And that is the question that Jesus answered. I'll calm this storm to show you that I do care. I know I was asleep in the boat, and it doesn't look like I care. But I care. And so have faith. Faith in what? That I can make wind stop? Faith in, in the fact that I can make waves calm down? No, have faith in me, in my character as a loving, caring God who cares for his people. And so in Luke 18, when, when God returns, when Christ returns, will he find faith on earth? Will he find what? what? What faith in what sense? Will he find people who are praying? Because he taught this parable, right, so that people would always pray and not give up. Will he find people praying, indicating that they believe that God hears their prayers and cares for them? Will he find that kind of faith? You see, faith is linked to the character of God. It's so unfortunate because a lot of times faith today is still linked to what the disciples saw when he calmed the, the storm. There's, you know, what God can do. No, faith initially and foundationally is about who God is. It's not about the gift so much as it's about the giver. And guess what? My mouth is really dry. you know what God wants more than anything from us? Do you know what blesses him more than anything in the world? 
It's when his children see him for who he is and praise him for who he is. Boy, I got a sermon I want to preach on Thanksgiving. God's been opening my eyes to Thanksgiving. It's like it, it shows up in the weirdest places. Give thanks. Like It's not Thanksgiving. Why, why should I give thanks? He's talking about the, the response of our lives to God in that we are seeing him and understanding him for who he is. We're getting his nature. We're getting his character. We're understanding his ways. So we respond with thankfulness and gratitude. I mean, if you're a thankful person, there's something to be said for your Christianity. It means you're really getting it. I mean, like, you're not just saying thanks here and there, but you are like, gratitude flows from you, right? Well, anyway, that's beside the point. Here's how it works. I curse you. Dave said I could preach part two next week. Didn't you say that? No? Did you say I could preach part two next week? Well, it's according to whether or not we go to the new building, right? If we go to the new building, he has no way giving that up. And I don't blame him. I wouldn't either. He's preaching there. Here's how it works. Okay, suffering. Suffering hammers away at this idea that God cares for you. I mean, boom, boom. It just keeps hammering away. Now, there's big suffering, and then there's little suffering. And, and the big suffering, you know, some of you know that, I mean, this cancer, the loss of a loved one, um, you know, the loss of a job, being, being um, poor and, and, you know, on the streets maybe or something to that effect or, or close to it. I mean, you know some big suffering. But sometimes I wonder, you know, if the little stuff, has more effect on us than the big stuff. Because in my life, it seems that when I had something big, there was also this ability that God gave, no doubt, to rise to the occasion. You know, as crazy as that sounds, I mean, how do you rise to the occasion of the loss of a child? I, I, I understand what I'm saying, but somehow God gives abundant grace, I guess. And, and, but all the little stuff, all the little nagging things that happen day in and day out, which gets to the second reason, and I'll go ahead and transition. The second reason we, we fail to launch, we, we fail to go deeper so that we can launch, is Satan. The first was suffering. The second is Satan. And it's because Satan is in the middle of all this mess. <laughs> okay, let me show you how it works. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Don't you love God's word? Man, I just love God's Word. I, I think I, I need to finish this sermon today. I'm sorry. It's gonna, we're going to go a little long, but I, I, I think we're going to try to get through it. First Peter chapter 5. Okay, look at verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So at the proper time, he may exalt you. Now listen, if you know anything about the book of 1 Peter, these people are suffering, okay? Peter talks about it in chapter 1. He says, you have been grieved 
by various trials. Okay, so they're going through suffering. Verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he does what? He cares for you. You see, it doesn't matter what the circumstances dictate. It doesn't matter that Jesus is asleep in the boat. It doesn't matter what God looks like, like he's on a trip. He cares for you. Anything else is a lie. Speaking of lies, look at the next verse. Be sober-minded, be watchful, because your adversary prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now listen, people say, he, you know, he walks around, he's roaring, but his teeth have been knocked out. Well, I know that. Jesus crushed him, right? But let me, don't you diminish what he can do. Don't diminish his power. Jesus said to Peter, Check this out. Jesus said to Peter, Satan has requested to have you so that he might sift you like wheat. <laughs> but Jesus says, but I've prayed for you so that your faith may not fail you. I have prayed for you. And when you are strong again, you go strengthen the brothers. You see, we have no power over Satan. The only one who does is Jesus Christ. And we should always remember that. Nonetheless, he lies. We're told explicitly God cares for us. Suffering and circumstances dictate otherwise. Maybe sometimes they, they give the impression that, that God is asleep, that he doesn't, doesn't care. And then Satan comes walking along, blurting out his lies, kind of reinforcing our fears, if you will. So this is how it happened for me this week. Uh, with my business, you know, springs are like just, the, it's hard to describe what springs are like. And uh, having guys to, to work for me, is a challenge, you know. So oftentimes, uh, you know, I'm trying to hire guys, and I'll get guys that that say they're coming for an interview, and they just never show up. They, they don't call, they don't do anything. And every time my hopes are dashed, you know. Well, just last week, I hired this guy. And um, super guy, he's licensed. He's got three licenses, and he's got all this experience. I'm like, He's going to come in and make an immediate difference. And uh, I talked to him on Thursday. He says, I can start tomorrow. I says, I will see you tomorrow morning. And, and all night I'm getting excited. I'm happy. I'm whoop. I get to the shop about 5 to 8 Friday morning, start doing some things. Tick, tock, tick, tock. 8 o'clock rolls around, no guy. Okay, 805 rolls around, no guy. 810 rolls around, no guy. 815, no guy. I get my phone, I dial him up, no answer. And I'm like, God, don't you care? I mean, and I'm like, Phil, you've been preparing this sermon all week. You know the answer right now, you know the answer. But I'm like, you're cutting deep though, God. 
This is my freedom we're talking about. I could preach more if I had this guy. This is cutting deep. And so I'm having this. I'm, I'm Seriously, I cannot underestimate how in that moment, how despondent I became. And then, I, by faith, and believe me, sometimes responding in faith is, is not an automatic thing, right? I mean, it is a fight. But by faith, I gritted my teeth and I said, God, I know what I'm supposed to do and I'm going to do it. I'm going to trust you. I don't care if it looks like sheep. I don't care what it looks like. I'm holding on to you. No kidding. <laughs> in just a few minutes, Dave, who works in the office, came out. And he said, hey, there's a message on the answering machine. The guy said he had to do this and this and this and this today because he's coming through a temp agency. And he had to fill out all this paperwork, and he, they needed him there, and he couldn't start until he did that. He'll be here Monday. Yes! Now, listen, would that have happened whether I did what I did or not, yes, it would have happened. God said he's going to take care of me. He would have taken care of me. But, oh, the joy of knowing in that moment, I stopped and I said, God, you care for me. I don't care what it looks like. <laughs> and then for God to say, yes, I do, <laughs> here you go. Now, it doesn't always happen that way. I get it. That was just a lesson. Just an illustration God gave me so I could share it with you. But, you know, I think there's all these little things that happen. Solomon talked about the little foxes that came in and ruined the crops. All these little nagging, he doesn't care, he doesn't care. He doesn't. If he cared about you, he'd give you a better job. If he cared about you, then you wouldn't be sick all the time. If he cared about you, then you'd have enough money to pay your mortgage. If he cared about you, then you wouldn't have to drive this clunker. If he cared about you, then you could be like this guy over here that lives in this really nice neighborhood that's got this really nice house. If he really cared about you, enough with this junk, God cares. Have you ever heard anything remotely close to that? All the little nagging day in and day out and day in and day out. And then there's this, this low-grade undercurrent of dislike for God, disappointment with God. Why would you want to draw close to him? Why? He's asleep. Just remember, it's a lie. He's not asleep. He's there. You can't see him, but you could. You could see him. Not with your physical eyes, but with the eyes of your heart. James says if anybody lacks wisdom when you're going through these trials, just ask, and God will give it. That's not a lie. 
it's time to skip some material here. Okay, this is this is the thing I want you to see last. Go, go to Mark chapter, or I'm sorry, I think it's John. John chapter 21. There, there's somebody in the Bible who failed epically. You know who that is, right? And we, we've talked about this guy before. He's our, he's our favorite apostle. Peter. And you know what he did before the rooster crows? Uh, you'll deny me three times. And that's exactly what he did. And a couple of the uh, authors tell us that after that, he went out and he wept bitterly. Now look at John chapter 21. Um, I believe starting with verse 15. Now, okay, Jesus has been raised, and he meets Peter. Peter has gone back to fishing. I think Scott talked about this recently. Peter has gone back to fishing. He's, he's given up. And Jesus meets him, and he says, uh, he, he made him breakfast. And he says, Simon, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And this happens three times. And Jesus says, you know, feed my sheep. Three times. Three in the Bible is the number of completion. So in other words, they completely covered this subject, right? The completion shows an incompletion, right? Because as the reader, you're looking at this going, you know, Peter says he loves Jesus, and Jesus keeps saying, do you love me? Do, I love you. Do you love me? Do you? So it's like Jesus is saying, really? Uh, well, I think Jesus would say in explanation, yes, I know you love me some, Peter, but it's shallow. It's, you know, it's only so deep right now. And then he says, verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. Now, okay, you, you just got to put yourself in this for a moment. Here's a guy that's shallow. Here's a guy that struggled with faith. Here's a guy that's been attacked by Satan. Okay, here's a guy who has lost it. He has failed miserably. Can you relate? Have you ever failed miserably? I would venture to say yes, and I would go on to say that it's absolutely necessary that you do so. I know that sounds strange, right? Because we preach righteousness all the time, and we call you to a standard of righteousness, but then to turn around and say, you're going to fail miserably, you're going to fail God at some point in your life. And when you get my age, you're going to look back and you're going to see two or three really big times. You're going to see a lot of little times. And somehow, in a mysterious way, in a way we don't understand, that is a part of God's plan. It has to be. It has to be. You know why? Because you cannot appreciate the love 
of Jesus Christ at the depth you need to appreciate it at without failure. You cannot do it. You have to fall on your face and you have to lie down uh, on the ground and weep bitterly as to what you see in yourself. And throw your hands up and go, you know what? I am no good at this. Only to have Jesus walk up to you. And make you breakfast. Put his arm around you. Take your face and put it in his hands and say, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know, I'm trying to love you. Feed my sheep. That's all he says. Feed my sheep. What does that mean? It means you feel useless right now. But you're not useless to me. You feel useless in this entire world, but you are useful to me. And I love you, and I'm going to use you. It doesn't get any better than that. Now notice, Jesus, I'm closing. Jesus says to Peter, he says, okay, right now, you know, you're a guy that kind of does your, you know, I mean, you're, you're still independent. You've got a long ways to go, but guess what? You're going to get there. You're going to get there because one day you're going to die in a God-glorifying way. And we kind of know how Peter died because some of the church fathers tell us that he died in Nero's persecution in the 50s A.D. And when he was crucified, he was, he was crucified upside down. <clears throat> because he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord was. Turn me over. <laughs> what? This is the same guy that was on his face that was totally defeated. How did this happen? I believe that tender moment that Jesus had with him was epic. I mean, Peter failed epically, but this tender moment was epic. It was something that he that never left him, that he always reflected on. He found his use, his value, his esteem in that moment. And he launched. Of course, we can always or also say the Holy Spirit helped, right? Because, he, you know, I mean, things changed on Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came and boom, he was filled with power. What kind of power? Some kind of magician's power? No. Jesus tells us what the Holy Spirit does in John 14 through 16. And Jesus says this, when he comes, he's going to testify of me. He's going to be a comforter. He's going to be a helper. And he will bring to your mind everything I've told you. So for Peter, one thing I'm sure the Holy Spirit kept reminding him of was, hey, you remember that time down by the seashore? You remember that time? 
You were so despondent. You couldn't see the next minute, much less the next day. And Jesus came to you. And he lifted you up. And he loved you. He showed you how much he cared for you. You remember that day, Peter? And I got to believe that that moment was transformational. That deep moment that only came through suffering and hardship and loss and failure. That when nobody cared, Jesus cared. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. No one ever cared for you like Jesus. And if, oh, we could just see it. If you will draw near, he will show himself to you and you will see it. And you will know in the depth of your soul that he cares for you and it will be transformational. Because once you know he cares for you, guess what? You begin to care for him. We love him because he first loved us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for depth, Lord. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for caring for us. We don't deserve to be cared for. But you care for us. You lift us up out of the miry clay. Jesus, you care for us so much that you were crushed for us. Just think about this as we go into communion. You were crushed for us. It was the Father's will to crush you, but Jesus, it was your will to be crushed so that you can help crushed people. We worship you. Sometimes that's all we can do is we see this picture of you and then we just worship. In our hearts, we give you praise. With our lips, we give you praise. With our lives, we give you praise. We offer ourselves up a living sacrifice to you, to you, you are worthy. Listen to this passage out of 1 Corinthians, the one that we often read before communion. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. For the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, that's one of the most awesome 
phrases in Scripture. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So you know what he's saying, right? He's saying, remember me. When you take the cup and when you take that wafer, remember me. Do not forget me. How often we forget. How often we forget the most important thing in the universe. That Jesus cares for us. That he cares so much that he was crushed. He gave out his body and his blood for us. We're about to pass out the cup and the, and the wafer. And when you get it, I want you to worship. <laughs> In your hearts, just worship as you hold it. And then we'll take of it together. Please come, guys. <laughs>